0: Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson here to tell you a little bit about adfreeshows.com. People often ask me, what exactly is AdFreeShows shows all about? Well, I'm glad you asked. Not only do you get early ad-free access to all of my podcasts, starting at just $9, but you also get many of your other favorite wrestling podcasts, like Click This with Kevin Nash. Gentleman Villain with William Regal. Oh, You Didn't Know with Brian James and others. yes, still just $9 a month. That's 14 podcasts in total every single week, early, with no ads. That's like 20 cents an episode. And yes, you can listen to them all directly through Apple Podcasts or through your regular podcast apps. How easy is that? Want some more cheese on that whopper? AdFreeShows.com has literally tens of thousands of hours worth of bonus content, including fantastically popular series like... Eric Fires Back, Idle Chase, and Strictly Business. And I don't know why this is a thing, but there's even more than 40 Ask Conrad episodes waiting for you at AdFreeShows.com. We've got monthly Zoom chats with all the podcast hosts, live watch-alongs with wrestling legends, and more. Come on now. See for yourself what thousands of other wrestling fans have already discovered that's AdFreeShows.com is the best value in wrestling today. Check it out right now. AdFreeShows.com You'll be glad you did.
1: The recognized symbol of excellence in sports entertainment.
2: This is Kurt Angle and welcome to the Kurt Angle show on the show today. We'll be talking with a former NWA world champion, but first, let me introduce to you my co-host Paul Bromwell. How are you doing today, Paul?
1: Kurt, I'm doing great, man. I'm really excited about today. We've had some amazing guests on the show lately between Ronda Rousey, Adam Cole. Last week, we had Brian Gwertz, and now a former two-time NWA world champion and a guy that I have a lot of admiration for. Nick Aldis.
2: <laughs> hey, uh, we had your wife, Mickey James earlier this year, and now we have Nick Aldis. Nick, welcome to the show, my friend.
3: <laughs> oh, thank you very much, Kurt. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you as always. And, and, um, very, very humbled to be in uh, such illustrious company.
1: Thanks, Nick. <laughs> hey, Nick, listen, speaking of, uh, you know, we had Mickey James on the show earlier and, uh, you got to tag team with her against Matt Cardona and Chelsea green, I wanted to start off by asking how that whole experience
3: was for you and Mickey. Uh, yeah, it's it's fun. You know, we've we've done a couple of mixed tags here and there, but it's something that we've we tried to stay away from it um, earlier on in my career because obviously she was so much more established than I was, uh, you know, earlier in my career, and I really wanted to make sure that I uh, established myself you know, firmly, you know, as my own person um, before sort of just lumping in with her at any given moment. Obviously in TNA, there were times where uh, guys like Vince Russo and Bruce and different people over the years would say, hey, what about doing something with with y'all? You know, and it would be always, uh, I was always the one sort of a little bit resistant to it because in my mind, I was like, I didn't want to be saddled as sort of, Mickey's guy, you know, as opposed to yeah. uh, establishing myself, you know, on my own merits. But now, um, obviously, I I feel like I've done enough uh, and, you know, I've carved out enough of a, a career for myself and enough of a, a legacy of my own where now it's fun. Like now we we relish the idea of doing more stuff together. And actually, we're really excited about the prospect of doing more stuff kind of as a duo, maybe down the road. But um, the mix tags are fun, not the easiest thing in the world to work, you know, because you have to kind of tread the line and Kurt knows about this. Like you have to physicality sort of
2: with women. Yeah.
3: Right. Yeah. You have to, like, I, I have a certain sort of opinion about what's cool and what isn't, you know, in terms of the physicality with men and women and, and things of that nature. And I, obviously I realize that the business evolves and people have different opinions about it. But for me, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat of a traditionalist. So it's I I like to do it, but do it in a way that's tasteful and fun and entertaining for everybody, because ultimately we're trying to, you know, take the audience on a ride. But this is where Kurt and I, I think, have always been on the same page is that, you know, I always want wrestling to be presented as a serious sport, too. Like I always wanted it to be I wanted the in-ring action to be credible and I wanted it to be considered, you know, uh, believable and, and taken seriously so that people could suspend their disbelief.
2: Well, you're only 35, Nick, and it feels like you've been on TV forever. You debuted for TNA in 2008, and you were only 22 years old. Looking back, were you ready for that opportunity?
3: Uh, sure answer no. <laughs> you know, um, you, like you know this, character you were there. Um, I broke into the business uh, in 2005. Um, I grew up in Norfolk. Uh, in on the east east anglia in england so if you look at a map of england there's a little round bit on the on the east coast that kind of juts out that's where i was born and raised um and as luck would have it uh the knight family uh who are well known now because of page uh and obviously they made a movie about them <laughs> and the movie is really good uh to, to to the point where accurate in places to the point where it was really kind of bizarre for me to watch it because they did such a great job of portraying their home um you know and that was my first memory of getting into the business was going to their house and and i remember seeing the movie and being like
2: god it's you so accurate the first yeah <laughs> yeah
3: and um but I, I broke in with them and um you know they broke you in the hard way like they they broke me in old school it was you know the middle of summer and it was take hundreds of bumps and you know run drills with each other on your back and conditioning stuff and you know I remember puking and I saw it as a sort of badge of honor and I think that Ricky and Julia and and the whole family I think you know pretty early on I think they sort of looked at me as like you know I was not a natural by any means but they could tell that I wanted it you know and uh but needless to say, you know, that was 2005 and I managed to, I th- had a bit of a look, you know, I had a good body and I was tall and, you know, in British wrestling at that time, it was still, there was a lot of really good workers, um, really good seasoned guys like Robbie Brookside and Frankie Sloan and James Mason and people like that. But uh, bodies was not, was still not really a thing yet. Like there wasn't a ton of physiques so I managed to sort of get my foot in the door with All Star Wrestling who were the number one promotion there and I I got in because I had a look and I you know I did the best I could and I, but I, and I learned a lot because I was wrestling every day you know I I one of my first I think it was my third ever singles match was with Doug Williams um because Doug had helped out at a school that I was training at in addition to the nights and Doug had kind of earmarked me as like this kid, you know, he wants it. And so Doug got me booked on a couple of shows and Doug was the one who said you need to go work for Brian Dixon like you need to go work for All-Star because he at the time had the Butlins camps. He was running hundreds of shows a year so for a 17, 18 year old kid, I went from, you know, breaking in a year earlier to like wrestling six days a week um, so I, I sort of jumped in with both feet you know pretty quick and then i got the opportunity with gladiators uh and because of and i did well on that show you know i won't i won't take anything away from that i was young for that too but that was what got tna's attention uh and kurt i know that you told me yourself that you you came over to do some media and you saw me on that on that show but like
2: yeah i loved you yeah
3: (laughs) yeah and that was, you know, surreal to hear that from you because, you know, you're one of my idols, right? Like, I've, you know, 10 years before, like, I'm a kid getting up at 1 o'clock in the morning UK time to watch the pay-per-views because I had to see him live. You know, I couldn't miss it. And, you know, a lot of those were you. You know, so it was – for me to hear this was just so kind of overwhelming. But I always say when I go back and look at that time, I go like – what was I supposed to say? No, I'm not ready. <laughs> you know? right? right, right. You know, it's like, I, 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 I kind of, I did the best I could, but um, yeah, truth be told, looking back at it, obviously uh, I was, you know, really thrown in at the deep end, like especially with TV, because as you know, Kurt, like working TV is so different to what I had been accustomed to it up to that point, which was, very much house show style wrestling, like kind of ver- very heavy on the crowd involvement. Very much about like you know cowboys and Indians. We used to call it like very much sort of like good guy bad guy kind of send them home happy type of type of wrestling. And suddenly it's like oh you've got four minutes you know and I'm going four yeah. minutes like <laughs> I, I don't even know how to do a four minute match like you know so uh, yeah in at the deep end and I tried really hard to sort of adjust as quickly as I could. And I, you know, I knew that everybody was, everyone around me was working really hard to, to help me and accommodate me. Um, You know, and fortunately for me, I had a thick enough skin to sort of take my lickings, you know, when I would come back and Cornet or Dutch or whoever it was, was like, this sucked, that sucked. You know, (laughs) and I I just kept kind of, you know, chipping away at it and, and trying my best to be around, you know, all the guys there. Because the the, the huge benefit I saw was the fact that the the roster for TNA at that time was, I mean, it was such a who's who. Like, when you look at the fact that we had all those legends, we had Kurt, we had Booker, we had Nash, Sting, um, you know, Steiner, and then we had Joe, AJ, you know, the machine guns. We had, like, you know, and then obviously Doug came in, and it was just like... (laughs) there were just so many great workers and great minds that I could just learn through osmosis from. So that's all I was really trying to do. I was trying to fit in, but I was also trying to sort of learn on the job. Like I remember Terry Taylor saying to me, you're getting paid to go to college, <laughs> you know, and it was <laughs> like, yeah. Um, getting paid to learn. Yeah. Right. Right. So it was, you know, but obviously national television is not necessarily the best place to be learning, but again, you know, I I did the best with you know with what I had.
1: Nick, you mentioned getting up early in the morning to watch guys like Kurt. Do you remember that one event or that one wrestler? And we'll continue to get into the TNA, but that really just it flipped the switch for you. That said, I want to be a pro wrestler. I love this. Do you remember yeah. that experience or that wrestler they, got yeah. you
3: into it? Um The year two thousand, I thought was the banner year for the WWF. Um I like most people was really hooked by like 97. Like I remember, you know, but I was still very much sort of immersed in it as a fan. Um, Let me start here. Brett Hart is my absolute idol. Like Brett's my guy. Brett's my hero. He always has been, always will be. And actually, um, Paulie B, I saw you, you know, a couple of weeks ago in Nashville. The, the, The coolest moment for me, uh, being part of the the flare show was actually for the first time getting a chance to shake brett's hand and oh. and look him in the eye and tell him like you're the reason that i fell in love with pro wrestling you know and i and and it means so much to me to be able to you know shake your hand and, and tell you that and you know i thought he was touched by that but um having said that the moment that i knew that okay i'm not just a fan of this like uh, there's there's more to it for me like i i want to try to do this was backlash 2000 um it was uh the rock beat triple h in the main event and it was just that whole show was such a great show top to bottom kurt wrestled big show big show dressed up as hogan (laughs) (laughs) but like i could tell you everything that was on that show and, like, it was such a well-put-together card, you know, like every – like the uh, opening match was uh, Edge and Christian against uh, Road Dogg and X-Park. Like, they tore the house down. And there's, like, Scotty Tuhati and Dean Malenko, and they tear the house down, you know, and on and on it goes. And it was, like, every match on that card was – everyone was over. Everybody, like, told a great story. Every single match meant something, but nobody took away from the main event. And by the time you got to the main event – you know, it's four o'clock in the morning and I'm like on the edge of my seat going like, (laughs) I, I'm just, I'm, and I realized that in that moment I was, I always loved rock. Like, I mean, of course, you know, he's, he's, he's the ultimate, but there was a part of me that was starting to go. I know that triple H is a bad guy, but there's something I really admire about this guy. And, and I'm looking at it and immediately in my mind, I'm almost sort of, I'm realistically going, well, I think I could be like him, mm. you know, like I could be yeah. the, cause I knew, I think instinctively that as a, as a Brit uh, and just with my natural sort of personality that I was going to have a better chance of being a heel and being a um, a sort of cerebral, you know, tactical kind of wrestler uh, and essentially kind of condition myself to be like, I'm going to be the guy to beat as opposed to the hero conquering, you know, American hero, you know, winning the main event type of thing. Like I I always sort of saw myself as I want to be, you know, Apollo, not Rocky. Like I'm going to yeah. be the guy to beat. That's awesome.
1: Well, well listen, so we'll spin it forward. He, uh, Kurt was talking about TNA. What did you think of that whole modern day gladiator gimmick of Brutus Magnus? And who gave you the gimmick? Oof <laughs> <laughs>
3: well i thought about it just about as i say just about the same as everyone else thought about it paul weren't <laughs> a fan i uh. i'll never forget i i um i came to nashville well uh, when they had the offices at Cummins station and they brought me in um and i was still shooting i was i still had uh commitments i was getting ready to shoot the second season of gladiators and i had um an acting gig that i had already committed to and stuff so they and they said oh can you can you come in and, and do some vignettes? I'm, of course. And I couldn't believe that I had vignettes, right? Like in my mind, I was going like, what? Like I'm a, like a rookie. Like, a, like, why do I get vignettes? But um, of course, again, I'm not going to sit there and go like, well, oh, I don't think I should have vignettes. Um, and I, I show up and they don't tell me, you know, bring this, bring that. Like they just, they just get me a plane ticket and I show up and, um, they sort of laid out, like, we're going to go to the Parthenon in Nashville, um, you know, and you're going to run up the steps of the Parthenon at the crack of dawn and, you know, this kind of stuff. I thought that sounded pretty cool. You know, like, that's, that's you know, that'd be cool. Uh, <laughs> and then I get, and then they go, we're going to go, are going to go down to the um, production suite so you can do your voiceovers for your vignettes. Okay, cool. I get in the elevator and they give me this piece of paper. And... This is the first time I've even seen my name. No one's discussed this with me. And at the top of the page, it says a big capital letters "Brutus Magnus."
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I just and for a split second, I you know when you when you're on a computer and you see like uh, "Lorem Ipsum Dorum," you know like it's sort of you know just a sort of test out of font. Yeah. <laughs> for a split second, part of me went, "I wonder if it's just a, a thing," and then and then it, like. This, you know, this pit in my stomach just start, and I, it, as it sort of as I'm going down in the in the lift, it occurs to me, oh, that's my name, and I sort of, and I'm, you know, panicking, and I'm sort of looking around, like, do I, am I able to say anything about this? Do I get to set? you know, and of course, I didn't, and, um, and it was what it was, <laughs> and I, you know, so you didn't make up the Albert name, Ross. right? Huh? They
2: made it up for you.
3: Oh yeah, Dixie <laughs> made it. That's what I was told. Now, so I I want to be clear that, uh, you know, there was a lot of, as you know, Kurt, like there were a lot at that point in TNA, there were sort of two definitive kind of um, groups. It was kind of like Jeff's team and then there was Dixie's team. And, you know, and so I was immediately sort of painted as like, oh, Dixie loves this guy and blah, blah, blah. Um, So (laughs) yeah, the first guy that... (laughs) mentioned my name to me was dutch and dutch you know typical dutch just goes hey what do you think of your name
2: <laughs> <laughs> Dutch,
3: <laughs> and i just and i kind of you know and obviously i'm brand new and i'm just trying to you know not i'm just trying to not get any heat so i just go well it's uh it's a, it's it's not what i was expecting he's like so it's okay you can say it sucks <laughs> and then he's like he said, have you, have you tried to get it changed? I went, like, oh, no, no, no. Like, he goes, okay, good. Because you know who came up with it, don't you? And I'm like, no, he said, Dixie came up with uh, it. No. Oh, no. Okay, <laughs> then. Uh, unfortunately, I managed to, later on, manage to get the the Brutus part Brutus taken away because I thought yeah. at least I could, I could make something out of Magnus. You know, like, I didn't <laughs> love that either, but I was like, well, I could do something with that.
2: It was better than Brutus Magnus. Magnus right. was better, yes.
3: Right. In 2009, like, anything with Brutus was just never going to work. And <laughs> so I, you know, I, like looking back on it, it's like that I give Vince, I give Russo shit about this now because like, I, you know, we're comfortable enough to, 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 say that, but the thing that was frustrating to me was it was so obvious that like someone had obviously smartened him up and said, Oh, they've signed this kid and he's on this TV show gladiators. And Vince had no clue what that meant. You know, like he clearly had never seen the show, Okay. because it was like no it's the it's just it's american gladiators it's just the british version and the the whole reason i stood out on that show was because i was acting like a pro wrestler
2: yes you were <laughs> that's like what I I because it. i remember
3: you telling me that you came over yeah. and you're flipping through the channels in the hotel and you see this you know and you see the show yeah. and i'm cutting a promo because yeah. i was the only one who cut promos yeah. like everyone else did sort of serious interviews right there at the Olympics or something, you know.
2: Definitely, yeah.
3: And I was like, oh, this is sports entertainment. I get what this is supposed to be. So I'm just doing, like, pro wrestling 101 sort of stuff. And, of course, like, the producers are just losing their mind. And I remember you saying, like, I I saw this and immediately went, this kid has to be a wrestler. Like, there's no way that, you know, or at least a wrestling fan. Um, But clearly there was a disconnect there because (laughs) Vince thought that, I was, you know, Spartacus or something. So, but it, it all worked out in the end because fortunately they realized that that gimmick wasn't going anywhere. And before before it had a chance to, like, you know, kill me off completely, they, they said, We're going to repackage you. We're going to bring in Doug Williams. We're going to make you guys the British invasion and bring, and I was just like, Oh, thank God. Like, you know, because I was drowning.
2: Well, TNA was really big in England, and I remember the crowds when we would tour there. Can you explain it?
3: Um, I think I think there was a um, I think there was less of a bias with the UK fans uh, in terms of like they were willing to give TNA a chance. Like there wasn't this sort of um there wasn't this immediately like oh it's number two. You know, it's not as good as WWE. It's it's sort of a wannabe promotion. Like, there was a lot of that sort of sentiment, um, you know, in the U.S. And I think in the U.K., first of all, there was a huge affinity for Mick Foley, for you, uh, for Sting, for Steiner, you know, Booker T. Like, those guys meant a lot to the British fans. Um, And I think that, you know, the, the, the other thing was... It had very good television placement, uh, in the UK. It was on Bravo to start with, and then it moved to,
2: it wasn't on Karen. paid TV, right? It was on regular TV.
3: It was, it, it, you had to have, I guess the equivalent of sort of basic cable. Like okay. it was, a, it wasn't, it wasn't on a broadcast channel by any means, but yeah, it was a, it was a free, you didn't have to have sky sports, gotcha. uh, which was a paid package, you know, that WWE was on. So it was more accessible, um, and I think that for that reason, and for, you know, they had a good time slot. They were on a lot. I think they do quite a lot of reruns. I think so, it just, there was a visibility to it. Right. And I think crucially, and I think this is where JB, you know, Jerry Borash gets, you know, needs to get a lot of credit is that Borash made a point to really acknowledge the UK fans and create content and um, messaging that really sort of acknowledged their enthusiasm for the product. Like, and in turn, the British fans, you know, gave back in kind because not to say that WWE did not acknowledge them, but there was a feeling, I think, for a long time that the British fans always get, like, we get a special pay-per-view that's just for the UK. And, you know, we get a sort of, you know, we, we don't get the show. Right. Because, but if you look, you know, shortly thereafter, they did start doing raw, you know, they (laughs) they would check raw tapings and stuff like that over there. Um, And I think that JB, you know, really made a point to go, the UK is our best market. Like we need to, and, you know, let's just, let's you know, let's, let's play our strongest hand. Um, And obviously that benefited me because they were actively looking for British talent because of the fact that the British fans had you know responded to the product so well So I, I I always was aware of that I was always very grateful for that.
1: Well Nick you had just mentioned it you said uh, the British invasion was formed and you were thankful for that So it's you Doug Williams, Rob Terry and you go on to win the iwGB tag titles with Williams in a tables match those yeah. tag titles are a big deal in the business we all know that was that one of your career highlights up to that point?
3: Um, I knew it had a bit of an asterisk next to it, to be honest, you know, there was immediately, there was this sort of, Oh, new Japan don't want to recognize it. Or, you know, there was right away. There was a sort of a little bit of a, a stigma attached to it. Um, obviously look, I, I was very grateful, uh, you know, and yes, it does mean a lot to be able on paper to say like, you know, I went on to win the GHC tag titles with Samoa Jai so I had the, you know, so I, in my career, I've had the IWGP tag belts, the GHC tag belts and the TNA tag belts. Um, so, you know, on paper, it's cool. Like, I've, got, you know, in, in terms of championships, I've been fortunate. I've got had quite a decorated career. Um, but for me, no, the, the, the sort of the validation for me with, with Doug was when we won the TNA tag titles at Bound for Glory, like, because it was that sort of acknowledgement of, I think that was in October of 09. So, you know, and looking back and sort of thinking, okay, in January of 09, I had this, you know, albatross gimmick. Like, you know, felt like I was probably I was on the block pretty quickly, <laughs> and then to be able to sort of work through that and and earn enough sort of respect with everybody and and uh, put the work in. And Doug obviously really deserves a huge amount of credit for that because he held up the wrestling side while I held up the, the promo side. Like that was kind of the way that we looked at it was Doug, I think would admit he's not, this is you know, talking and the entertainment side of it was not his strongest suit, but in the ring, you know, he was world-class.
2: It's as good as it So gets, it was
3: like, it? right. So it was like, he could, he could be the, the workhorse, and kind of take control of the you know be the ring general and take control of the stuff in the ring and i was very happy to let him do that so i could learn and i would and i would kind of take the lead on the promos like when we had stuff with uh, pre-tape stuff with like you guys when you were doing the main event mafia stuff and all that kind of thing like we i when russo would bring us the pre-tapes and stuff like i would sort of take the lead on the entertainment side and doug would take the lead on the wrestling side and that worked out really well
2: Well, uh, the British invasions would come back and you would return babyface by defending America against Mexican America. Not everything in TNA made a lot of sense, am I right?
3: Just hearing you read that is funny. Because you can make anything, you know, you can make anything make sense if you try hard enough, right?
2: (laughs) It was crazy, huh?
3: Yeah, I I sort of vaguely remember that. So they had, um, they had, they they had big plans for mexican america which i thought was a a strange name too because i was kind of like i don't know if that's necessarily the right thing to be sort of portraying as a villain but you know again not my place to say but yeah it was interesting that of all the people that they looked at they went hey let's have the brits (laughs) (laughs) stand up
2: up for america
3: yeah right right because you know especially considering that that first year when we had when we had a really good run as a british invasion like we were working with beer money everywhere and every night we would be like on the house shows you know everybody stand while we sing the british national anthem you know never be a usa usa <laughs> so, you know, fast forward a year later we're like hey usa usa shut up mexican america <laughs> but hey it's like you said uh, tna was um there was a lot of ideas you know not necessarily good ones, but there were a
2: lot. <laughs> well, what did you think of the British invasion? Do you remember the six man that uh I had with you with AJ and uh I believe it was Tomco against you guys? You remember that match?
3: It wasn't Tomco, he was gone by the time I got there. I do remember doing a six man with you. I think um it was AJ and yeah, you're right. May have been beer money. I, I think, but I do remember being in the six man with being in a few six man's with you. Um I was always you know again i was always just like uh incredibly nervous and excited to get to be in the ring with you you know at all uh, and obviously later on i would get to share the ring with you in a more significant way um i just i remember uh realizing just how good aj was yeah. like the first time i worked with him and it was in a six-man tag of some sort and basically i just you know, my role in that night was feed AJ for his comeback. And I remember just thinking, God, like he's so crisp and his timing is so perfect. And it's like, you're in messes
2: up. Oh my God. I mean, and just never screws up.
3: (laughs) It's, it's, it's unreal. Uh, It's he's to this day, you know, I would still, and, and I haven't wrestled AJ for almost 10 years and I still, I still hold my matches I had with him in, 2013 as some, some of my best um, because, you know, he, he really is that good. I, I remember saying around that time, like, and it was funny cause it was actually, I, I won't say who it was, but it was someone who worked for WWE in the office. And I remember saying that AJ Styles was the best, I thought AJ Styles was the best wrestler in the business. And they kind of scoffed and, you know, like, and I remember thinking, you'll see. You know, oh, and yes, and you know, like <laughs> it, it, like any because I knew I knew enough at that point to know, like I've been in with some some of the best ever, and AJ is noticeably better than them. You know, and then when you were saying it, it was like, look, if Kurt Angle is saying that this guy's the best, <laughs> like the best, you know, that there's really no more conversation to be had. And so obviously, you know, fast forward to a few years later and he shows up at WWE and just, you know, immediately just slots straight in as a top guy and just, you know, just shows everyone
1: just
2: who, who yeah. he was.
3: He's a standard bearer, man. He's, just, he's, a, he's the best performer of his generation.
1: He definitely is. Yeah, well, uh, Nick, as we fast forward through the story here, Rob Terry, he splits from the group. You dropped the Brutus name. I know, got to be super excited. You mentioned that earlier. How ready were you for that to finally change?
3: I was ready at that point. Um, I love I loved my time in the tag team because I, I always believed that being in a tag team was a a very good way uh to for for a rookie for like a young kid, I think it's a good way to establish them because it for me especially it was a really good way to emphasize my Strengths and hide my weaknesses while I worked on them, um, but by the time I was given a chance to, you know, work single, I I wanted to. I was like I wanted to change my look and I wanted to be. I wanted to get away from the British flag and the sort of you know pigeonhole sort of gimmick because I was very grateful because I knew that it, it, at the end of the day. Uh, you want your spot, like you want to have a good spot on the card. And we did with the British invasion, like we got married to beer money who were arguably the hottest act in the company. So I was very grateful that I got so much experience um, and was put in a position where my match was getting a good reaction. You know, it wasn't anything to do with me, but I was there. Um, But I also knew that because of that, I'd earned enough sort of um, credibility with the audience that they would, they would give me a chance now. Because to begin with, they were chewing me up and spitting me out, you know, and I knew it. Like, I remember some of those early, you know, matches where I was, you know, Brutus Magnus and everything. And I could just, you know, the TNA fans at that time, they were passionate about TNA. Like, they, they, they believed in their guys and they didn't want it to be like WWE. They didn't want, you know, some young rookie kid with you know who wasn't who was unproven to come in and get a push and beat all their guys they didn't want that and I could feel that and I really didn't want that stink by the time I got the, the chance to work singles I could I could feel that the, the shift like I could feel that they've said okay this guy you know he's got a thick skin like he took our best shots like we we shit all over him Right. And he kept on coming and he improved and he got better in the tag team and he's had some good matches and he's, you know, he's, he's stuck with it. Um, and I, look, there's, there's no doubt that if you go back and look at it, it's like yeah, I cringe at some of the stuff I was experimenting with, you know, because I'm kind of like, oh, let me try a beret, you <laughs> know, like in sunglasses <laughs> and, you know, this and that. Um, but I'm grateful that TNA gave me the freedom to try it. You know, um, and and obviously uh, over the years, I think that that's when, like, well, that's why when it got to, like, 2013, which was sort of the, for me, was the sort of pivot year, um, I could really feel that the audience by then had, had gone, you know, this guy has, he's busted his ass. Like, he's tried, like, he's, you know, and he's gotten better, and he's, like, he's not, he, never, he didn't try to, he wasn't trying to fast track anyone. Like, he was, you know, I think that they really genuinely at that point felt like I'd paid my dues. Um, and that's an important thing. You know, it, it, it means something. And that's why uh, i you know, I've always been very vocal about that with, in the NWA. Like, sometimes the audience wants guys who have paid their dues. Like they, they want to. They, you know, the, the credibility is not something that you can create. It's something that comes over time. Um, and and obviously, the for me, the, the the ultimate compliment was being put in the in the mafia with Kurt and Joe and Sting. You know, and I was very nervous about that because I was, I thought that, that I thought that the people would shit on it if I'm truthful because. The way that it was set up, I don't know if you remember this, Kurt, but we were in Vegas, and um, I got about three days' notice. I think like mm-hmm. Dave Lagana called me and said, "Hey, you need to go get a custom-made suit, like because you're going in the main event mafia." And I remember being like, "No, no, wait, wait a minute, I can't. Like, there's no way I can be in that. Like, that doesn't, you know, that people are never going to accept me in that. They're like, no, 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 no. Like, it's going to be the the premise is going to be that Sting's going to say." This time around, it's going to be the, the uh, you know, the past, present and future. And I kind of went, okay. But even in my mind, I'm thinking, Sting, Kurt Angle, Samoa Joe. And I'm going like, that's a, that's a tall order to try to, you know, to have me uh, considered in the same vein. And I remember Kurt was the one who did the promo. and st- And I remember standing there at the curtain in my suit, ready to walk out thinking Kurt's going to say my name and this is it like it's the sink or swim because if the audience shit all over this like I'm finished (laughs) they didn't I mean I wouldn't I'm not going to you know rewrite history and say it was a huge pop but it was a positive enough yeah where I kind of went oh shit okay like and and then obviously I went out and 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 cut a pretty good promo, and and you know, then we were sort of off and running. And I was like, you know, that was validating for me because I knew that a lot of that was because of Kurt and Sting, like you know, kind of advocating for me.
2: Well, you begin to be a ladies' man, and that gimmick fit better, did it not?
3: <laughs> yeah, I guess. Like <laughs> Vince Russo was, <laughs> you Vince know, wanted she, you to do it. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like was, him. This was yeah. this was one hundred percent Russo. When I and I, and obviously I'll, I'll tread carefully uh, for for you know as a as a, as a happily married man now uh, I was single then um, <laughs> for some reason when I came in I think some of it was because of course you know with whenever you have a female boss and somebody gets a push immediately there's kind of like oh she she got a crush on him or she likes it blah blah, blah, blah whatever right nothing, nothing ever happened there uh and okay so i think i'm kidding i'm kidding you're not helping yeah right Um, but i knew that that was i knew that was floating around (laughs) but for whatever reason russo and i don't know if it was like people were staring him up but like he was convinced that i was like this chick magnet like people, you know, and you are. Would, You're a tall-looking guy. You.
1: you got the accent. I mean, come on.
3: Well, like, listen, Paul. Like, like I said, I'm a married. Like, I'm a happily married man, but back then I was single, and I'll just tell you the truth. I I, I didn't find it that hard. I, <laughs> I, I love was, it. I was a, a, a fresh face, and I was in Orlando, and I lived that's in. Right. I actually lived in Clearwater, and it was just like for me, it was that's what coming to America was for me. It was like I want palm trees, I want hot chicks, I want the beach. You know, there blah you blah. Um, and I took full advantage, uh, you know, Davari was my roommate at the time. He can attest to that. And, you know, and anyway, we'll just leave it there. But, um, I think people were, Russo, he, you know, he's always had an affinity for for women in the business, right? Like he's always had this, yeah. he's always had this, you know, uh, strong sort of, uh, female presence on the show in, in a certain way. Um, and he would come to, I just remember Vince would come to me at, at TV tapings and be like, bro, how many?" you know, since the last time I saw you, how many chicks have you been with? You know, like he was always <laughs> asking me these silly questions. Like, bro, you, bro, let me tell you, when you, when you go out, do you just, do you even try, bro? Or do, or do they, you <laughs> know, do they just fall over in front of you? You know? And it was just one of those things where it just so happened that coincidentally, whenever Vince happened to be around, I did happen to be like, have maybe have some success <laughs> on that front. So then of course it just snowballed vince because now it just confirmed Vince's it's who you are. Already, it's like, who you guy's—he's a, a ladies' man, <laughs> That's you know. Right. Which, <laughs> and so then it was like, bro, you've got to be a ladies' man, you know. You got to like, you know. Da, da, da. And again, I was, I was okay with it. I, but again, I always, I, I knew again it was going to be there's there's a there's a sort of sort of limitation with that character. Like, I, I, I said in my mind, I was like, I'll lean on this for a while, but I'll try to pivot it you know, like Sean did, like Sean Michaels, you know, to begin with, it was sexy boy, boy toy, you know, like the mirror and the, you know, he had Sherry sure. Martel, and he was, but, you know, over time, he sort of, you know, made it more serious. And, and, and I thought not, not that I was suggesting that I was going to do it the same way, but I was like, it can be done. So I kind of embraced it and did the best I could. But And I'd also at that point just learned, like if, if I hadn't learned anything else, I'd learned how to, you know, make the best of, of whatever was given to me.
1: There you go. Well, listen, Nick, after you morph out of the boy toy or sexy boy, uh, character, you, uh, we begin teaming with Desmond Wolf known as Nigel McGinnis and, but his health status really jams you up for the next few months. How does that affect you and, and your spot during this time?
3: Yeah, it was a, it was tough. It was, it's funny because even to this day, um, the occasional TNA fan will still go, man, I, I wish that you and Nigel had had a chance to, you know, to go for it. Like to a point where our name was London Brawley, which I thought was all right, you know. Um, but to this day, people will still bring it up. And I think, you know, we, ha- I think we had like two matches. Right. You know, we had... We had two matches and we did these, we did some vignettes at the mall. I remember we did, we did these vignettes where we went to the mall in um, at the mall at Millennia in Orlando. And we, when we're walking around with Chelsea. So I'll, I'll quit a sidebar here. So that whole thing. So Kevin Nash at this point had really become like a mentor and an advocate for me. I was very fortunate to get to spend quite a bit of time with kev around this time and one night we're in the ale house or friday is one of those and dixie is in there and uh with kev and russo and a couple people and i stop by as you do on the way out to you know sort of make sure you say hello and you know show your respect whatever and nash um slightly inebriated so basically then sort of just goes off to dixie and russo and says look you're not doing enough with this guy here's what you need to do with him you need to find a chick not a wrestling chick like a real genuine like model looking chick you need to let him put, put him in a suit he goes this motherfucker's james bond you know like how- <laughs> but he's like you need to make this guy james bond put a hot chick with him L- like lays out the whole thing, and in my mind, I'm like, "Fuck, that's really good." <laughs> yeah. <know>? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and you know, Dixie's nodding along, and Russo's nodding along, and then like the next taping's like Nigel shows up, and Nigel's got Chelsea with him, and he's got like the you know the whole the, deal. And I'm like, ah. oh, wow. and I remember Nash looking at me and going, "Do you see why I don't pitch ideas for other people?" <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> but obviously, somewhere along the w- the way, they went well let's put them together um you know and it uh i yeah look it, it was funny cuz it was it was an unfortunate situation with nigel's you know health and obviously he's talked about that now but um yeah i was collateral damage in that for a little bit but again i was confident enough at that point i'd learned how to be patient you know i'd had a few stop starts with tna and i felt like i was i'd earned enough kind of um props with the office. Like I had a pretty good relationship with everybody in the office at that point, Bob Ryder and Dean and Andy and, you know, and obviously Dixie and stuff. So I was, uh, I was rewarded, I think, because I was patient, you know, I was told be patient a lot and I felt like I was. Well,
1: listen, Nick, your big elevation comes when you start teaming with Samoa Joe. Did you feel that when you and Joe would win the TNA tag titles?
3: there were no plans for Joe and I beyond a short term. I think again, and I, and I, I say all this with love because, you know, I think Russo gets a little bit unfairly um, lambasted, you know, That's historically. Else, because right. He, he had a lot of ideas, um, not all good ones, but he, but being creative is difficult, you know, and Vince did, Um, The one thing I would say, and I think anyone who's worked for Vince, especially guys like me who weren't stars, will say that Vince did try his best to get everybody on the show. And Vince, um, he did like this idea of unlikely tag teams. That was one of Vince's kind of go-to things, like the odd couple. (laughs) And I think that, so they, hey, what about you and Samoa Joe? And I, this was, uh, Russo legit said to me, and I said to Vince, not in a combative way. I just goes. I said, so what's the, what what are you thinking for this team with me and Joe? And he goes, well, bro, you're pissed off. He's pissed off. So I figured you could be pissed off together. (laughs) And me and Joe just looked at each other and went, all right. (laughs) And uh, that was it. (laughs) And we, we channeled that. We channeled that energy. Like, I think I remember we went out and I, I forget who our first match was with, but it was like a tournament, you know, whatever. And that was the first time in my career where I could feel like a difference in the audience where the audience were kind of like, Oh, I like this. Like, this is like, I'm kind of seeing something new sort of happening here. And if i if you go back and look at that match, when we, me and Joe, I, we, cause I was such a big fan of Joe's. Like, I love Joe's work. I loved his matches with you. Um, you know, I, I, I loved his matches with uh, Kenta Kabashi and, you know, so I was already such a fan of his and So I could tell that Joe was not necessarily particularly enthusiastic about being stuck with me. So I really went out of my way to be like, I've got all these great ideas, you know, and it was basically me just inserting myself into Joe's established stuff. Okay. So like, Hey, Joe, you know, you you do that thing where you do the squisher in the corner and then the, the, the why don't you do that? And then throw them out to me and I'll do the elbow off. You know, I was, I was basically just taking all of his stuff and just kind of inserting myself. around him. Yeah. So he, so it was, I showed him a lot of respect in that reset in that, in that sense. And then I think he started to get excited about it because it was like, I wasn't it, I wasn't thinking me, I was thinking we, yeah. and yeah. I think that as a result, he got a shot in the arm, like, and it was, I did everything like I said I sort of based everything around his offense which then reminded everybody just how great Joe is because he was, you know, mismanaged at times at TNA like he was misused and he knew it and the audience knew it and the audience I think again I think the reason that the audience responded so positively is because they were kind of like this is the Samoa Joe we fucking want right you know and as a result I got the rub like, and I'm perfectly secure enough to admit that, like I got the rub from Joe because Joe was over. And then people started going, I like this dynamic between these two. They're so unlikely. And then Taz uh, gave this great call on, on commentary where he said like the Porsche and the tank. And that. Wow. you know, he got really like, you could, you could, he you know, I could always tell, I, I've always been, a, I've always been big on commentary. So I would always listen. I was always watching. I would always watch my segments back and listen to the commentators because if the commentators were enthusiastic, I could tell they were into it. I knew it was working. Mm-hmm. If they were goofing around and, you know, sort of doing their best to just try to make it entertaining. I knew it wasn't working. Right. And when and then I could hear Mike and Taz, like getting into this and being like, Oh, these combination offense from these guys and I'm, you know, da, da, da. and then Taz being like, it's like the Porsche and the tank, you know? And I remember thinking, ah, okay, like if it's getting over with Taz, Right. Like it must be pretty good because he's seen a lot of wrestling. He's got to watch every show, you know, and um, uh, it it was it was the for me teaming with Joe was absolutely the um, the sort of the the catalyst for me. It was my level up moment.
2: Well, you're a major part of the Aces and Eights gimmick with the TNA pushed heavily as an opposing baby. It would eventually lead to you becoming the or entering the new main event mafia with me, Sting and Samoa Joe, which we talked about earlier. Was it quite a rub to be in that group?
3: I mean, it was the ultimate rub, you know, that, I mean, I, you know, I, like I, like I said earlier, sorry, I jumped ahead, but I was, I was so, uh, I was so, I had such mixed feelings about it because I was worried that the audience was going to reject me because I was like, one of these things is not like the other. Right. Like I've always felt like if I have a good quality in this business, it's self-awareness. Like, I I don't think, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think that I ever uh, had in TNA, I don't think I ever saw myself, you know, as something, you know, that was unrealistic. And I remember, you know, my my conversation with Bruce and uh, and Lagana and the creative team was like, "Are you sure they're going to buy me as this?" And um, Bruce was like, "They will if you fucking believe that they will, you know." And um, and that was that. And I remember uh, standing back there, like I said, and you, you know, you sort of going, "The the fourth member is." magnus you know i remember thinking oh please god don't boo you know uh and they didn't and i came out and then you know like i said i i I had a promo in my head and the first thing i made sure to do was to put over you guys because i was kind of like i wanted people to know that i didn't see myself as on the same level as you guys like i'm gonna make sure that i go this I get that this is like a big leap right like that was always my thing with the audience that's what I learned from Brett more than anything else Brett Hart always had this thing of like don't betray the audience like don't you know uh Jerry Jarrett always said this to you don't try to outsmart the audience mm. and um I sort of I took that into account because I always thought that authenticity was the most important thing to a, to getting people to buy into a character so immediately my thought was okay i'm stood in the ring with some all-time greats and in joe like really a, a sort of franchise player of tna so i'm going to make sure that i really acknowledge that and i remember saying about you like the only olympic gold medalist and you know the sting is like the icon you know like there's no you know and then, obviously, Joe. It's like we have our history. We went, we went to Noah and won the tag titles together, and won the TNA tag titles. They had no plans for us. Like I wanted to acknowledge that this had come because these three men believed in me. So, you know, give me a chance, and I'll and I'll earn my my spot, kind of thing. Like that was kind of my my mentality in that. But it was it was a huge leap, and it was very intimidating. But I was uh, eternally. We're grateful for that rub
1: well guys i want to pause right here and share something i know many of our listeners will be interested in and that's iwtv.live it's independent wrestling's premier streaming service for live events and video on demand of past events if you saw wheeler Yuta versus daniel garcia on aew and enjoyed that then you definitely want to check out iwtv.live as they've had an even better match for the IWTV title. And you can check out the likes of Eddie Kingston, Masato Tanaka, Jonathan Gresham, and so much more. For just $10 a month, IWTV.live offers 20 plus events streamed live each month from top independent wrestling. And just this past week, they had 10 live events. That's a dollar an event. No better value in wrestling streaming today. Also, as an IWTV.Live subscriber, you have immediate access to our extensive library of over 13,000 hours of video on-demand content from over 300 independent wrestling promotions from around the world, including Beyond Wrestling, Prestige Wrestling, Absolute Intense Wrestling, and H2O. You can watch IWTV.Live anytime, anywhere on Roku, Apple TV, and Amazon Fire TV Stick including mobile apps for Apple and Android devices. There's no long-term contracts required. Go to iwtv.live and subscribe today for just $10 a month. So Nick, you were able to defeat Sting at Bound for Glory in a mutual respect match when Sting tapped to the Kings Lane Cloverleaf. This is big time for you, is it
3: not? Without question, uh, the biggest sort of step forward um, for me, uh, the, the thing I remember the most about that day was actually it involved Kurt because the way we had set that whole thing up uh, was, you know, student and the master, right? Like the, it was, that was the premise. It was, you know, and it was well done. And I remember uh, Eric Bischoff was the primary sort of producer of most of that uh angle but it had started it had gone it started all, all the way back with my match with aj um and i'd had this very good match with aj in st louis uh where i'd lost and again um thinking back to lessons that i had learned from listening to brett you know he uh, i heard brett hart always said that there's an art to losing and sometimes losing is the match that makes you um and I felt like in the eyes of the TNA fans, the match I had with AJ where I lost was the one where they find where, the, where the TNA fans kind of went, okay, we accept him. He's knocking on the door of the sort of upper echelon on the card, and, and we're going to let him in. Um, and Jeff Jarrett deserves a lot of credit for that. Uh, but that was, it was set up where I was sort of, having a crisis of confidence and I really liked the angle. Um, and Sting was, you know, heavily involved in it. Like he sort of really went to bat for me. Uh, and I remember we got to the pay-per-view and I certainly at this point had learned enough to know, okay, I can't go in with any expectations, but it felt like the right thing to do would be for me to get my hand raised. But obviously It's sting and I'm not going to sort of come in assuming that. And um, I remember I got there that day and our agent, I forget who it was said, you know, X amount of minutes Sting up. And I went, okay, you know, and just sat down with Kurt at catering. And sting came over and sits down and Steve goes, Hey, did they tell you the finish? And I go, yeah, yeah. He goes, we're not doing that like he's like we set this whole the whole the whole reason we set all this up is is for you to get your hand raised like yeah this is crazy and i remember just being like i well i don't know what to say you know it's it, like like this is sting and uh and sting goes not only are you not only are we not doing that he's like you're beating me with your finish in the middle and I was like, uh, "Oh, okay." Like, and I remember he got up and said, "I'll, I'll go take care of this," and he walked off. And I'm, you know, and I'm like, I'm almost in tears because I'm just, you know, that's so, that's such an overwhelming thing. And I remember Kurt looks at me, and Kurt goes, "Wow, he wouldn't even tap out to me." <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Like, kind of joking, but like. <laughs> also in a way of like Kurt was kind of saying to me like you realize what a big deal this is right like you know sting is like advocating to submit to your finishing hold right like and I did understand the gravity of it and um I've always always looked back on that and just always just said you know I I don't know why uh I I, and I I that Steve Borden Uh, is such a first-class human being. And he took such a a liking to me um, from the beginning. Like, I remember out of the blue in 2009, so I'd been in the company for like four months, I think it was, April of 2009. And Sting had wrestled Samoa Joe on a pay-per-view. And with all due respect to both of them, it hadn't gone very well. Like I, I I don't remember too much about it, but I remember that they weren't, you know, they, they weren't very happy. And, um, this, this was back in the day where they would still send out the formats ahead of time. And I got the formats and I was just fully expecting us to be doing something as British invasion. And, um, and i'm looking through it and i get to the segment where i see british invasion music and entrance but it says doug williams and rob terry versus whoever and i remember thinking wait what like are they replacing me with rob like am i like at ringside now like what the hell's going on like you know and i remember thinking and i'm looking through like i'm not even on the show you know like what's going on and then just out of curiosity, I guess, I just keep going through until I get to the very end. And it says, main event, impact, Brutus Magnus versus Sting. And I remember being like, what? Like, (laughs) what, why? What is happening? You know, and I knew, I I knew what it was. It was like, okay, Sting's got to get his heat back, right? He's, you know, he's he's back on TV. Like, I think he lost the match on the pay-per-view to Joe. So I think it, it was, you know, very solid booking, like, Hey, give Sting a good win on TV, you know, just sort of getting back in the saddle. But I remember thinking, wow, like I'm getting that spot, you know? Yeah. And I remember showing up and like Terry and uh, a couple of guys being like, you better be ready for this kind of thing. And, uh, and then I, you know, and I know that I'm, jumping all over the place but this was you know this was i guess three four years prior but i remember steve then being like yeah i i asked for you like there was you know they they said you know you got to get a good win over somebody on tv who do you want and i said i wanted you and i was like why (laughs) you know and he was like no because because i like you and you you know you got a great look and you got a great attitude and i really like you and i just went into like total sort of fanboy like Ric Flair kind of mode because I was like okay I know what my role is in this match I'm talking about the, the TV match we had I'm like I know my role here like they, it's Sting's greatest hits so I just position myself all over the ring okay give me the big hip lock out of the corner give me the drop kick you know clothesline me over the top like you know beat your chest give me the howl Like, this, and I'm just calling it to him like, so it was such a great learning experience for me because now, you know, in the, in the in in my, you know, career, especially as NWA champion and stuff, like obviously you had to be a ring general. And that was really my first chance to really do a match like that, where it was more like, call it in the ring, brother, like a little bit like uh, kind of NWA style, Ric Flair and Sting. And, you know, I remember just having so much fun with it and like really thinking that's my style but that's what that's what i'm most sort of that's what that, that's where i really have an affinity and i remember coming back and that was the first time that kevin nash like really sort of you know made a point to sort of acknowledge me in any way and nash i remember nash coming up to me and being like good match was thing. like you know what you're doing like and it's, it's, kevin basically said that day like you, you you're one of us like if you want you know you come to me if you ever need anything like that was good shit like I, you know you get it kind of thing
2: you earn and, respect yeah
3: yeah and because you know how it was then kurt like a lot of the guys my age they were the plan everything a b c d e Right. um you know very high spot oriented very much like you know uh if something goes wrong just do it again you know that that type of mentality that very sort of pre-planned choreographed sort of style like that was the majority of my generation and I had a bit more of an instinctive sort of approach which I think resonated a bit more with you know some of the older guys like I've had it you know suggested to me over the years that I'm you know uh I'm a bit of an old soul right like you know because like I, I saw Jerry Jarrett a couple of weeks ago and he was like he said some really nice things to me, but he was like, you're, you're a throwback. Like you remind me of, you know, you remind me of the guys from, you know, an era that doesn't exist anymore and all that kind of thing. And I always take that as a huge compliment, but yeah. Um, huge compliment, yeah. Sting, like I said, from really from day one was like, uh, I want to do anything I can to help this kid. And obviously it culminated in the ultimate sort of sign of respect you know, which was Sting doing, me, doing the honors for me in, in, at Bound for Glory in San Diego.
2: Oh, you defeat me in the TNA World Title Tournament in the semifinals and turn heel in the finals to defeat Jeff Hardy and, team, and join Team Dixie to earn your first world title. How big of a deal is this for you?
3: I, I had a feeling that I might, you know, be getting a chance. Like, but I but again wasn't fully sure. Um, I will say, uh, obviously, it meant you know, it meant the world to me, it still does. Uh, because of mainly because of the names that I like, like you just said, you know, I I get a win over you in the semis, and then Jeff Hardy, who was at that point in time, Jeff Hardy was without question the top babyface in TNA people do not realize how important Jeff Hardy was to TNA's business. Um, I do because I was on the house shows and I knew that I was on house shows where if Jeff Hardy hadn't been on the show, the show likely would have been cancelled. You know, they're like Jeff, uh, I, I he's one of my all-time favorite opponents. He's, you know, um, just... He just has he has that thing, and I think Brett has it, and I think that there are certain guys who have certain like a, a connection with their fans that is different to the to to just being over, right? Like I always used to say, like and I've felt this way about Brett too. That they had they had fans that would like they would throw themselves in front of a train for them, you know, like they had fans that were so dedicated to them. Um, and Jeff was definitely one of them, but um, but yeah, the fact that I was able to, you know, get my hand raised in matches that involved, you know, such legends of our industry, was such a huge thing. And to you know, look to get the world title is like, you know, this current, Like, I mean, you, yours is, but not doesn't even compare because you got the WWF title, you know, at a point where WWF's business was as arguably as big as it's ever been. So it wasn't the same thing, but you know, you suddenly go, Oh shit. Like I'm the, like, this is, this falls on my, like falls on my shoulders now, you know, like I'm the, I'm the champion of the company, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean like you're the most over guy or like, you're, you know, you're supposed to draw the houses and stuff, but you have a responsibility. And that's what I knew. I was kind of like, winning the title is not the is is not the end it's the beginning right like in the movie winning the title is the end of the movie in the business getting the title is just the beginning like now the real work begins and for me i was 26 i think so still so green um and i remember kurt having a sort of come to jesus with me uh on some house shows we had in the northeast because i was sick i was really sick i had the the flu really bad and i was wrestling joe on the house shows and um i'm ashamed to say it now but i i we had the we had a match i was i was so sick and i was having such a hard time like breathing that i kind of called the finish early i took it home kind of early like 10 minutes and i came back and kurt came in the dressing room I don't know if you remember this or not, Kurt, but you go, you're the fucking world champion. Like you don't get to do that anymore. Like you're the, you fucking go out and you deliver like, because they gave you the, you know, they gave you the ball. Like, I don't care if you're sick. I don't care. You know what you, you have to go out and you have to give the people the money's worth. And I remember just being like, I wasn't sad. I wasn't, you know, I was angry at myself because I knew you were right. But I also, it was like, I made a promise to myself that day, like that you, I will never do that again, you know, no matter what. And I take a lot of pride in fast forwarding to, you know, my run with the NWA title. I took something that no one cared about, (laughs) you know, let's be honest. Um, And I knew that if I was going to have any chance of, making anyone care about it i was gonna have to go out in front of 50 people or in the case of me and cody in chicago ten thousand people and i'm gonna have to make them feel like this is the most important match they're what they're gonna see that day like this is the most important thing happening in pro wrestling at this moment in time um and i wrestled in (laughs) barns i wrestled in you know arenas and everything in between. I wrestled a whole host of guys some of whom were very good. Some of whom went on to get signed with NXT or, or AEW or Ring of Honor or New Japan and you know I wrestled I defended the title in China, Australia, Puerto Rico, you know, the, all over Europe and obviously all across the US and that was my principle is like I'm um, no matter what happens, no matter how many people are there no matter how rinky dink the show might seem i'm going to make sure that these people feel like they're seeing the most important thing in the world you know right now because the title's on the line
1: well nick i'm glad you didn't let kurt's speech uh ruin you mess you up he because- was right no he, no he
3: was no listen he he had to like he because he was 100 right and i needed like he he was he wasn't saying it like to be mean he was saying it like don't fuck this up well, hey,
1: I get the same speech from time to time after we hit done record. He said, you're <laughs> my fucking co-host. If you mess this podcast up again. So listen, I get it. It's just not you. It's all of us that work. Just tell him you're going to stretch him if he keeps bad mouth. Yeah, right. He has a high standard. He's an Olympic gold medalist. I get it. Now, in all seriousness, though, we were talking about pressure and the pressure to deliver and the pressure of being, you know, holding that world title. But buddy you also had to defeat and go against AJ Styles in his last match in TNA. Talk about the pressure with that, man.
3: Yeah, I was it's 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 a period that I, you know, it's just like I I tried not to beat myself up about it because I I accept that the majority of that situation was out of my control. Um it, my biggest my biggest, it's not even a regret because it wasn't something that I did. But when I when I think back on that time, like I won the title in December in Orlando. One month later, we're going to be in the UK. And call me crazy. But for me, the obvious thing was always like, is there not some way we can put this off? For four weeks, and I can win the title in London or Manchester. Like Manchester was always such a good town for me, and all I could think of was instead of doing it here on a, you know, at at Universal Studios, it's like could we not figure out a way to to and and look, I was I was okay with the heel turn. Like they wanted, you know, they wanted me to be this corporate champion with Dixie and everything and I was totally cool with that but I was like well we're taping two we're going to tape like two episodes in Manchester and two in London so my my argument my suggestion was can I not win it in Manchester and get the big baby face like moment and then turn heel in London you know and get the it would have been a huge baby face moment and then a huge heat you know heel moment I was kind of and and Oh, and because of they were adamant like no no we've got to wrap up this stuff with AJ because his contract is up and you know and so on and so forth and obviously look it was it was not my place to say it wasn't my you know it wasn't my decision to make I I sort of pled the case but um, I, it wasn't you know it wasn't a good match it wasn't anything it was it was you know it was just a whole load of nothing and um, I'd had some good matches with AJ so you know, it's, it's sad that that was the sort of, that was the end of it. Uh, and I felt like it was a little unfair to me only in the sense that I knew how much this was going to hurt people, you know, to say like for AJ to be, for, for his exit from the company to be this way. And I knew that even though, you know, on a logical level, the people knew that I didn't have anything to do with it I was still going to be associated with it you know and um I knew that that was going to be a uh, that was going to be difficult for me to overcome and I think in the end that that is what happened I think like in people's eyes you know they had such a love and respect for AJ and he represented that brand that I ended up representing all the things that they didn't like you know even though it wasn't you know my choice obviously but hey i you know, you play the hand you got dealt. Like that's the way I looked at it, and uh, I I did what I was instructed to do.
1: Now, now listen, Nick you uh, you would leave the company after eight years in late June of fifteen, and uh, I guess you know at that point it could have been a contract time to move on. But you eventually returned to TNA as part of the GFW invasion. What were some of the differences coming back to TNA this time around?
3: I uh, I think that you know Jeff. Jeff had every, he had all, he had the best intentions with GFW, but, uh, his heart wasn't really in it. And obviously now knowing what we know now, I didn't know at the time, we know that Jeff was, you know, having some personal issues, um, with addiction and, you know, I I don't want to harp on that too much. Uh, so I just treated it as let's just see what happens you know I didn't have any expectations uh the company was more or less the same you know from from how it had been when I left you know and it was great to see all the guys and it was I was I was excited to work with Del Rio uh because you know he because I'd never wrestled him before and I thought he was a great worker and and, you know so I thought that could be a, a, a big match um but I just you know I just sort of came in and did business. I got a nice payday for it. <laughs> you know, but uh, but I remember just sort of being like, hey, I'm just gonna come in and do business. It's good to see everyone and but I'm gonna keep uh you know moving moving on. It, it was time for me to move on. Like I, I my you know I wasn't released, my contract expired and I didn't sign another one. Like I I was I was sort of ready to try something else. You know, truth be told I I I wanted I wanted to see if I could get to WWE, you know, and still do like that was, you know, that was the sort of, in my mind, I was like, I've, I've paid my dues. I've, I've worked with a lot of guys. I've done, you know, I think I've done about as much as I can do, um, you know, and, and I was never, you know, it's, it's a Tony Robbins phrase. I like to use, but it's, you know, you you won't take the Island unless you burn your boats, you, you know,
2: well, you've been face of the NWA since 2017. How did you get involved with it?
3: I was doing, I was do, I was, was. working independence, you know, and I was, like I said, I was trying to establish a relationship with WWE. But, um, you know, at that time, it wasn't, nothing was, you know, nothing came of it. And um, I got a call from Dave Lagana, who had worked you know, I'd worked with in in TNA. He had, but I was never I was never in uh, impact when when Billy Corgan came in. Like his first day in TNA was literally my last day. Like his the first time I met Billy, uh, apart from a one time apparently where I met him um, somewhere with Borash, but I was so drunk I don't really remember. <laughs> <laughs> but apart from that one time, the, the first time I met Billy in a professional sense was literally on my last day in the company. So obviously uh not a you know wasn't it wasn't like he, he, it was a, not awkward but he sort of knew okay well you're leaving i'm coming in anyway good to meet you and you know best of luck kind of thing um i kept up somewhat with with the goings on you know at, at TNA and, and all the stuff that happened so i knew that billy had been involved and then there had been some sort of you know conflict and dispute and whatever anyway he's now he's left and he's uh, I remember the first I remember seeing something about Billy Corgans bought the NWA and I remember thinking, okay, well that's interesting. I wonder what he plans to do with it. And then my phone rang. Um and Lagana basically uh sort of loosely explained that like they were gonna tr- try something different and they were gonna try to sort of um reignite the NWA brand. And I and they said you know, we thought of you. Like we think that you'd be a good, a good fit. Are you interested? And I said, sort of "Okay." And i i I've always liked combat sports. Like you know, Kurt and I have watched a couple of UFC pay per views together and stuff like that over the years. And I love boxing. Uh, and it was right around that time that we had just had Mayweather uh, and McGregor, and then right after that was Canelo and Triple G. And I remember talking about that to Lagana and Billy and saying. I just bought two boxing pay-per-views back-to-back in the space of a month for two totally different reasons, like because of the way they were built, but they were, none of it involved a boxing match, right? Like it was all uh, HBO or Showtime doing those incredible video packages, those, you know, long form, like build pieces. And I remember, and I, I remember citing those and going, these combat sports are doing pro wrestling better than pro wrestling now (laughs) because pro wrestling is focusing so much on just having a good match right right? like a wrestler a versus wrestler b you know and they're gonna have a really good match and do a load of cool spots and the to me the, the beauty of the business was always in the anticipation it was always in the creating the the anticipation for the match, like everybody knew that Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels was going to be a fucking classic, but if they'd have just booked it and then not, you know, and that was that like, and that, you know, and you guys just show up on the day and shake hands and wrestle, it would have been, it would have been still been great, but it wouldn't have been what it was. It was good. Yeah. Right. And like, I remember the package for for you, you and Shawn, where you're talking about like, in, in 1996, where I won the gold medal, people are telling me about this guy, Sean Michaels. And, you know, to even suggest that you're the greatest wrestler is an insult to me and everything I stand for. You know, it was real, yeah, right? Like, that's not, like, that's the, when you get pro wrestling right. Like, that's perfect. Because he wasn't saying anything that wasn't true, but he was also being a heel and insulting the baby face. So you can, you can be kind of upset by what he's saying, but at the same time you're also going, he does have a point. Right. And then by the end of it, you're going, Well, I uh, there's I have to see this match. You know, I have no like I, I can't miss it. And anyway, I basically said to Dave and Billy, there's way too much wrestling going on. You know, this <laughs> this was before AEW. And it's like there's Ring of Honor. There's New Japan. There's all these indies. There's, WWE have got three shows. You know NXT, Raw's three hours, SmackDown, and so on and so on. I said, it, if we're gonna, what if we make more of a point of creating a, a lot of content that that drives anticipation for one match, one title, you know, one sort of can't miss thing like a prize fight, as opposed to a wrestling brand, right? Like wrestling companies have a tendency to immediately want to try to get the brand over, right? TNA, TNA, you know, whatever, as opposed to, well, let's compel the audience to create something that they feel like is can't miss. And so that's how the 10 pounds of gold series was conceived because I was like, watch the, watch this HBO piece on, on um, Canelo and triple G it's totally different to Mayweather and McGregor. They're not bragging about how much money they make. They're not like insulting each other. They're talking about how they train and how, how you know, they're, they're willing to, to put everything on the line to prove that they're the best guy. And, you know, accepting their flaws and saying, I'm going to beat this guy and here's how and all this kind of thing. And I remember just being like, both of these approaches hooked me in totally different ways. Can we try something like this? So I had a very heavy hand in it from day one, um, and I think that's how we got people's attention because we didn't try to bullshit them and pretend to be something we weren't. Right. We didn't. Right. We didn't pretend like the NWA title's the most prestigious title. You know, like and these guys are millionaires and they're so you know. So we, we were like, hey, this belt has a shitload of history behind it, right? That like. This belt means a hell of a lot to a hell of a lot of people, but we know that it hasn't necessarily been portrayed in the greatest light recently. Give us a chance to remind you why it's a big fucking deal. Yeah. Like that's the way I looked at it. And that's what that's how the Ten Pounds of Gold series started.
1: Well, guys, real quick, I want to talk about reliability. Nick, you've talked about being reliable. It is so important in life, and I don't know about you, but when it comes to my automobile, getting it to where I need to on time and without a hiccup is paramount. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. And that, my friends, is where CarShield provides the solution. CarShield makes it easy and affordable to protect your car from expensive repairs. I know because they've done it for me and that's just for starters. They're the number one auto protection company in the U S and they offer protection plans for around a hundred bucks a month. The plan covers more parts than ever before. Whether your car has 5,000 miles or 150,000 miles. Let me tell you how simple it is to get your car fixed. When you need a repair, you choose the mechanic and CarShield's administrators handle the rest. That's it. You don't have to deal with the paperwork or headaches you're taken care of. Same goes if your car breaks down and you're stuck on the side of the road. Plans through CarShield also include coast-to-coast roadside assistance. CarShield administrators are there for you with rental car options and trip reimbursements at no extra cost. So get your coverage locked in today. And if you lock in that price right now, it will never go up. That means as long as you own your car, no matter how old it is, you're protected from the rising cost of parts and repairs. So listen, CarShield protects my wallet from expensive car repairs, and they'll do the same for you. Go to CarShield.com slash podcast to start your plan and lock in your pricing forever. That's CarShield.com slash podcast. A deductible may apply. So Nick, we Beautiful talked transition about transition,
3: Paulie B. Hell of a transition there. You like it? You like it? The, the, the master of the segue.
1: <laughs> so listen, Nick, we talked about it as we introduced you on the show. Two-time NWA champ to me, you've been the face. You have been the brand uh, for the NWA. Uh, we talked a little about you. Mentioned it. Your battle it with Cody Rhodes in front of ten thousand at All In, and then uh, you dropped the title to Trevor Murdoch after a thousand forty-three days. But some news came out recently about Billy Corgan and and you maybe not being on the best of terms of late. So what's going on? Well, what's what's happening? Is 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 any kind of new developments going on? Where are you at with everything with the NWA, Nick?
3: Well, that that was news to me as much as everyone else. Um, I was getting ready to go to Germany <laughs> uh, to you know for for some shows over there. I won a, a four way match. For number one contendership um and that was the the last i knew of it and uh suddenly out of the blue i'm i'm hearing that billy went on the radio and had a lot of stuff to say um i can't speak for him i never have and never will uh we have i believe we've achieved a hell of a lot together you know i again i always thought of it as we not me uh, I always felt like I, um, acknowledged his, uh, his responsibility for, you know, my growth, uh, and success because again, my philosophy on the NWA was, well, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's basically a philosophy for wrestling, you know, and, and if, any, if there are any young wrestlers out there who give a shit what I think, uh, if you believe it, they believe it, right? Like if you give a shit, the audience would give a shit. If you don't, then you're wasting everybody's time and you aren't going to do anything uh, and you're not going to make any money. So I took a lot of pride in, from, like I said, from, from day one, my thing was <clears throat> I'm going to defend this title as many places as I can. I'm going to go all over the world to do it. And fortunately, uh, the promoters kept calling. I mean, they were, the calls were coming in like thick and fast. Um, And I took a lot of pride in, you know, I, like I, I trained with Harley Race, you know, so Harley, you know, he said like, you have to go out and you have to close the show You have to follow everything else. You have to make everybody believe that there's a chance that this, that that whoever it is can beat you, but you also have to make them realize at the end of the night, why you're the world champion, you know? And I felt like I did all those things. (laughs) I'm not going to apologize for being good at my job. Uh, And I'm not going to apologize for, you know, (laughs) anyone else having difficulty to follow me, you know, it's, um, shit. I had to follow Kurt angle, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like, you know, I, like I said, like, I got the, I got the strap in TNA and I had to, I had to try to live up to standards set by Kurt and AJ and Jeff and Bobby Roode, And, you know, um, so look, I don't think, I don't think what he said was fair you know, and, 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 that's all there is to it, but it's, I don't want to harp on it because yeah. it's his company. He can do whatever the hell he wants with it. Um, you know, and I believe I was the best world champion of the modern era. Uh, and I, all I wanted was to basically, um, to be in a position that I had earned, you know, and and that was it uh so as as far as sort of where we're at now i've kept a low profile you know i've kept my head down i'm i'm in the best shape of my life i feel great um and you know i am on the card in st louis uh i understand that it's me and flip and i intend to tear the house down and show everybody why i'm the franchise but um You know, as far as uh, me and Billy go, you know, he's a he's a he's a complicated guy. Um, And we've had, you know, a very good relationship for the majority of the five years we've been working together. Uh, And but it's a business relationship. So, you know, um, I have to respect his decision uh, and all, like I said, all all I can do is maximize the minutes that I get and do do the most with, you know, the opportunity that's presented to me, uh, be it here or elsewhere. But um, my biggest, you know, for me, like I was loyal to the NWA when I when I had opportunities to to go elsewhere. My loyalty is to my fans, like your responsibility is to the audience again something that i learned from brett you know your your responsibility is to the audience uh and i take a lot of pride in that when i'm on the card uh people will know even if they're not my biggest fan or if they feel like i'm i'm not flashy enough i don't do enough high flying stuff i don't do enough high spots So you know, I'm not extroverted enough for some people's taste, maybe whatever the case may be. I do feel like I want the audience to know and respect that whenever I'm on the card, that they will get quality and they will get, you know, my best, you know, every single time I've I've earned that. And I've delivered on that promise for 15 years now, and that's not going to stop anytime soon.
1: Nick, are you under a contract or is it more of a handshake I'm under
3: contract okay all right I am under contract to the NWAS now yeah
1: all right well we look forward to uh to supporting you there before we let you get out of here though we want to make sure that our audience is aware of all the fantastic products that you have available right now with your legacy sports nutrition business so Nick can you, you uh can you talk about that a little bit and where they can find it
3: yeah no I appreciate it um we we launched legacy uh in at the beginning of last year Um, it was something I'd always wanted to do, but, um, I finally had the opportunity to do it during lockdown, actually, you know, during the pandemic, which was, you know, turning a negative into a positive. And, um, so I was finally able to sort of get everything in place and knuckle down with it and, and, uh, work on the formulas and, and everything like that. And, uh, we've been blown away by the response, you know, it's, it's not an easy, industry to crack, you know, it's a very competitive market, as Kurt knows. But um, we've had a great deal of success, you know, in a short period of time. Uh, I've got some pretty lofty goals for the company. um, That's, you know, that are going to require a hell of a lot of elbow grease on my part. Uh, But we've since we've launched, we've managed to remain in the top 5% of traffic uh, for e-commerce stores, you know, at the, at the same age as us, which is, you know, which is, uh, which we take a lot of pride in uh, most importantly, we have a repeat customer rate of over 85%. Um, so what that tells me is that, you know, the, the people who we are reaching and the people who are trusting us, you know, and parting with their hard earned money for our products are returning for the most part, because, the products are, they work, uh, they, you know they're effective. Um, they're very high quality. You know we're FSP certified. Uh, you know GMP certified, and you know all our products are made in the U.S. We uh, we go out of our way to make sure everybody is satisfied with their orders. We've had some incredible feedback. Um, our best sellers are Test X Nine, the Test Booster, and Recovery PM, the Sleep Aid. Uh, it's It's interesting because the sleep aid was something that I was quite passionate about because I've always felt like in terms of health and fitness, uh, sleep is the most overlooked element of improving your health, well-being, performance, all of those things. Because so many of your processes and recovery and everything like that and testosterone production being one of the major ones they take place during good quality, deep sleep. And I was sort of looking at the market and looking at test boosters and looking at, you know, the research for the, for the, um, for the effective elements. And I was doing some research and it occurred to me like sleep as, as regards to, with regards to testosterone is being completely ignored. And that's why we made a real focus on that. And that's why recovery PM is part of the ultimate test stack. Um, that's our best selling stack with, because it combines proven ingredients that are proven in, in studies. And by the way, if you go to legacy that's that's L E G A C Y S U P P S.com. If you go to the test X nine page, every ingredient in test X nine is listed. And every single one is, there is a link to uh, medical studies that, show the effectiveness of those particular elements those particular ingredients we're not trying to they said we're not we're not bro-sciencing you like we're not we're not just sort of saying oh all kinds of stuff that do this and do that we've linked to um mostly uh, mostly university studies that have shown these these ingredients to be effective um look i've I, I, i wanted to get into wrestling first thing i thought of was well i need to get in shape and i imagine that (laughs) you know i wanted to so i fell in love with with bodybuilding and fitness and health and nutrition at the same time as pro wrestling so from the age of like 12 13 i've been lifting weights i've been reading the books i've been reading magazines i've been studying it i've been you know really immersed in it and um so this is not it's it's not a money grab it's not a vanity project. It's something I have a great deal of passion for and I've put my 10,000 hours into. Uh, and we appreciate that there is a, a ton of options, a lot of, and there's a lot of competition. Uh, but I do wholeheartedly believe that if you try uh, the products and we, I think at this point we have 30 products, I think, or a total at legacy Um, you will be, Satisfied and you will see results if you combine them with, you know, a smart diet and workout regime. And what I try to endeavor to do is to be accessible to people either via our chat or via email um, info at LegacySups.com so that people can reach out and go, hey, I'm thinking about taking this, you know, does it, will, will it work? I endeavor to answer all those, you know. Or if I can't, I direct you to someone who can. And we've really tried to be personable with, with our customers. And we've seen uh, just wonderful feedback. When I was poorly B, I saw you a couple of weeks ago at Starcast. Yeah. Um, there were you know numerous fans coming up to me saying, Hey, I'm using the test stack or Hey, I'm using the, you know, the superfood greens or I'm using recovery PM and, oh my god i feel great like i love it and you know that is it's so rewarding um and uh i believe that the angle uh, code angle is still active at com. Right. so you can use code angle for 10 percent off nice. uh, if you if you feel inclined um <laughs> and uh kurt's been gracious enough to send us some um chicken snacks i was actually I was. I gave some yesterday to uh, to Tonya, our assistant, because she was she she was looking at them. She was like, "What's this?" And I, and I said, to her, "And I was explaining, you know, it's um, this is Kurt's brand, and that, that I said these things are they're the real deal, man. Like they're um, my favorite ones, the Sriracha uh-huh. flavor." But I was like,
2: "No kick to them."
3: Yeah, and like, and the combination with some peanuts and stuff in there just gives it a little bit of a, It's a nice texture. It's like I'll, I'll I'll be I'll be straight up with you, Kurtsky. I uh. I I like to partake in a little bit of herbal medicine from time to time of an evening. (laughs) And, um, I'll tell you, I'm a carb cycling guy. I'm a big advocate for carb cycling. Uh So on my low carb days, you know, the biggest risk, the sort of the, the danger zone, I call it for me is like 9 PM to midnight, (laughs) (laughs) right? You know, when I'm like chilled out, I've put Donovan to bed, I may have had a little herbal remedy right and now i'm like oh, i got the munchies and <laughs> chicken snacks is my go-to. that's that's my favorite that's that like that's my go to when i'm trying to be strict but also you know satisfy that craving and that's they, like, awesome, <laughs> they are they are awesome and um thank you I, we've talked about we've talked offline a bit about this about you know synergizing between the, our legacy customers and your physically fit nutrition customers and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I've, it's, it's really rewarding to have, you know, started and launched the brand Mickey's heading up the women's line at her legacy.com. And um, we're, you know, we're, we're just super grateful. We've, we've served customers, I think in about 11 or 12 different countries already. And uh, like I said, our repeat business is, is good. And we're, we're now available on walmart.com. So we're, you know, we're chugging along, like we're, you know, we've had some, we've had some interest from some big retailers and we're sort of, we're, we're kind of working out the kinks. And obviously, you know, that, as you know, Kurt, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of paperwork and a lot of bureaucracy and stuff like that to, you know, to get to that level where you can work with the big ticket retailers and stuff like that. But I, uh, it, it, you know, it's a challenge and I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. I, you know, and I'm, I'm getting, I'm really rewarded by it. And I have, you know, like I said, I have huge aspirations to, to, to turn the brand into a, you know, into a big success.
2: Well, I hope you do, Nick. And I want to thank you for coming on the Kurt Angle show today. Please say hello to your family for me and take care and good luck in the future. my friend. Oh,
3: Well, likewise, Kurt, you know, I, you know, I love you to death and, and, uh, Giovanna and the kids and, I'm. Um, Very, very grateful for everything you've done for me. And I appreciate you giving me the time to come on your show. And uh, it's always great talking to you. I love you, buddy.
1: Love you Uh, too, man.
3: Thank you, Nick. Appreciate it. Yeah.
1: There it is. Nick Aldis, Kurt. And uh, a lot of stories, a lot to share. And uh, good having him on this week. We can talk,
2: man. (laughs) He can talk.
1: Yeah. You're getting A to Z from Nick. (laughs) And uh, we got it this week, buddy. But man, what a great show. What a great story. And it sounds like he really loves you and the family. But buddy, listen, let's talk about next week. We're getting into SummerSlam. It's uh, SummerSlam 02, probably one of my favorite SummerSlams of all time. And you open the show against the new opponent, Ray Mysterio. Hey, Jr. Ray. Yes. So that's going to be a lot of fun. We'll talk about that and uh, can't wait. But hey, listen, let's get into it. Let's wrap it up. He just put over physicallyfit.com, buddy, and those chicken snacks. So not only are they good for all those trying to get healthy, but maybe for looking for a healthy option after you smoke the uh, herbal, herbal enjoyment.
2: <laughs> this is the Sriracha he was talking about. Chicken there you snacks, go. Sriracha flavor. Yep, uh the, these uh, you can get them at physicallyfit.com. There're 11 different flavors. We have plant protein and uh chicken protein. So it's up to you, you make that choice. Order them, uh you can order them uh if you want to get 20% off, use the uh code anglepod. That's right. Or if you want 20% off forever, become a member online right on our website KurtAngleBrand.com.
1: There you okay. go.
2: I'm sorry, physicallyfit.com.
1: But hey, you Kurt since Angle you brought <laughs> since you brought it up, you might as well transition right into it. What can they do at Kurt Angle brand
2: Kurt Anglebrand.com. We got cowboy hats, we have milk cartons, we have t-shirts, uh autograph photos, uh, birthday cards, uh cameo voice messages. That's the we best. Got them all. The
1: cameos are the on best. the
2: website, order whatever you want, and I'll have it sent to you.
1: The cameos are where it's at, I'm telling you. Go check it out, KurtAngleBrand.com. Wildcat belts, get that Real American Hero belt, I'm telling you. One left. That's it. You have one crack at owning history, owning something that's only five have ever been made, so check it out. And then we are one week away, Kurt, six days away from the big wrestling night in Wisconsin. We're at the Timber Rattlers. Kurt and I's hotel rooms have been locked in. The schedule's (laughs) been locked down. Are you ready to throw out that first pitch? I'm ready to do it, brother. Yes, sir. All right. So we're going to have a lot of fun. If you've been thinking about it, do it. This is the last chance you got. We're going to be there for a pregame podcast, and Kurt and I are look forward to seeing you there. Listen, that's going to wrap us up this week. On behalf of your Olympic hero, Kurt Angle, this is Paul Bromwell. We'll see you right back here next week on the Kurt Angle Show.